Hi folks, here's Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books, So Little Time. Today we continue with Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey with Chapter 10. Chapter 10? We're in the double digits now, people. Music! How's your week been? Oh, actually, uh, on the topic of reading, my week has been fantastic. Um, ah, uh, yes, you mentioned this in passing. Tell, yeah. tell. Yeah, on Tuesday, the latest Dresden Files book came out, and I and did... so by Wednesday night, it was finished by you. Yeah, I, I, I did exactly what I did a couple months ago with Peace Talks. I, I bought it uh, in the morning. And I went out and I read while I had uh, a coffee at the cafe. And then throughout the day, I read interspersed with other things I was doing. And then I went to bed at nine in the hopes of, you know, just reading a bit and then going to sleep. And then at 1 a.m., four hours later, I had finished the book. Naturally, naturally. That, 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 that's the thing. When you are invested in the characters in the story, you want to finish it. Um, it's, it's also because it's funny. Um like among the Dresden Files community, uh, Peace Talks has been a very divisive book. Half the reason because it really was half a book and Battleground is the other half of that story. Um, so now that both are out, you know, um, going forward, people might have a more favorable view of Peace Talks because they can read it together with Battleground and get like the whole picture. But, you know, um, that wasn't the only thing people had problems with. But I will say... Battleground feels like a Dresden Files book. It felt like Peace Talks was Jim Butcher uh, shaking the cobwebs off after like six years of, you know, not releasing a book mm. in, in the series. And then, like, like actually, I remember um, the Dresden Files books can be very funny. Uh, the main character is very snarky, and uh, there's often a good dose of humor. Uh, Peace Talks kind of, that was absent, and in Battleground already within the first couple of chapters, not only was I laughing, the, like almost every chapter there was a like, a, oh, my God, what does that mean for the series moment? So it, it, it was a much more enjoyable read because just everything was coming together. Um, yeah, no, the um, I haven't read those two yet. I am intending to. But the tone in the book that preceded them, it was starting to struggle, not not in a bad way, but you could tell that Dresden was dealing with some stuff that it was going to come back to bite. Like there was this, this ominous buildup in the background over the past few books. Yeah. Um, and I will say big things come to a head and uh, actually both books. Well, I guess yeah. the, this, this complete story. I mean, this is almost for fans of the series. This, this is actually coming out of battleground. It's almost a changes level book. In okay, terms yeah. of what it means for the series going forward. Yeah. So there's, uh, yeah. And so th th this idea that, that there's always this build up in the background and then he um, unleashes the, 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 the thing, whatever the thing is, he did that with changes. And it, but it's still done in a way where it feels like it's something, it's almost, unex you know, something's up, but you can't exactly pinpoint it. And then the thing happens, you're going, now I get it. But I didn't at the moment. I wouldn't have been able to predict that. That's the, his his uh, style as a writer is quite quite effective at concealing the 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 good at build up and good at concealing the actual um, moment or the the disclosure. I don't know what the words are. These are hard words for me today. I'm having word problems. He, okay, he, he's very good at playing the long game. Yes, yes, that that is it. And also, um, I think I just just the moment to moment like. Yeah, um, it's funny because Battleground uh, is a very action-heavy book, probably his most action-heavy book. Um, the name kind of suggests it. Uh, yes. They are in a literal battleground uh, with, mm. with gigantic forces. Um, I, actually, I, yeah, it's fair to call it a war. Um, so, so there's always like something happening, um, mm. 
and and Butch is pretty. I think he's very good at writing action. You know, some art, uh, some authors struggle with it, and yeah, um, the way I read uh, since I was like a teenager, I, my my um, joy with the written word is always in dialogue when characters are mm, talking mm, to mm. each other, and everything else, description and action, I tend to skim, and then I kind of slow down and really take in when characters are talking to each other. Except with Anne of Green Gables, where it was a bit of both. But we'll just <laughs> jump back. Anne of Green Gables, you enjoyed the descriptors as well. Well, like, see, you were reading it, so I got everything. If I was reading that book on my own, I would have been doing the same you thing. You were skimmed, yeah, yeah. It's not that I don't appreciate and like description. It's just I read faster through it and then i slow down when it comes to dialogue because that that is my jam that's what i enjoy i because because also the yeah, talking. I, I think um i like character interaction and i think you get mm. you you get the most character development once they're bouncing off other people like i do slow down as well when a character is kind of in his own head kind of mulling over what they need to do next you know in a lot of books there's always like there's always that down moment between like after a big action scene or after something big's happened. Mm. It's like but, but they kind of take stock of what's happened, what that means and what they have to do next. And I always appreciate that kind of, okay, now we're moving on to the next thing. Well, then the book that we're currently reading here with Northanger Abbey is right up your alley when it comes to character interactions. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's for sure. Segway. Segways. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I think uh, last chapter was very um, revealing. Uh, mm. I, I, I much in, I really enjoyed how um, two hours with John in a carriage uh, made <laughs> made Catherine go, you know what? I don't find him agreeable at all. And that was her nice way of saying, I don't like the guy. <laughs> and well, she didn't like him to begin with, but she's like, okay, look. My brother, my 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 very good friend. Uh, everyone is kind of saying, "Look, give him a chance," and I've given him a chance, and I am regretting the chance that he has been given. <laughs> that's that's the thing, yeah. You, and she's yeah. You give people chances, and then when they disappoint you, well, you gave them a chance. Well, the thing is, is she's not even disappointed as much as she's she's disappointed in herself for not having gone to um, the pump room where she intended to go, like she mm. intended to go and see the others and catch up. And so she's, she's some of it is herself, but she's also going, this was a bad choice. I shouldn't have made this choice. This was the wrong choice. Um, but she, we were reading at the beginning in the introduction. She's not a person who's very, she's very compassionate. She's very kind. She's very gracious towards people. She's very forgiving. And I don't think this is a matter of necessarily forgiving or regret, uh, regret outside of her regret of, that company, like being in that company is the regret. The fact that she was bored, the fact that she just felt like she's not used to that level of insincerity. In fact, she's not used to insincerity. And so she got two hours of being droned at by this dude who thinks the world of himself. And luckily we as the reader didn't have to uh, be there for the entire two hours. No, we got the abridged version of this odious, odious man. And it is, it is odious. He is odious. Okay. That is a so, great word. It is. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, John, John Thorpe, the odious third. No. Odious the Thorpe. The o odious Thorpe, which would have been a perfect name for him had his parents um, or had his mother actually thought that one through, um, is now not in her happy place. She does not particularly like him. And he seems to have a false reality that he tends to build up around himself and flip and switch as suits him yeah he, he probably thinks everything's going fantastic and ooh, uh this girl's into me yes very much so um and so we continue with chapter 10 the allens thorpes and morlands all met in the evening at the theater and as catherine and isabella sat together there was then an opportunity for the latter to utter some of the few many thousand things which had been collecting within her for communication in the immeasurable length of time which had divided them oh heavens my beloved catherine have i got you at last was her address on catherine's entering the box and sitting by her now mr morland for he was close to her on the other side I shall not speak another word to you all the rest of the evening, so I charge you not to expect it. 
My sweetest Catherine, how have you been this long age? But I need not ask you, for you look delightfully. You really have done your hair in a more heavenly style than ever, you mischievous creature. Do you want to attract everybody? I assure you, my brother is quite in love with you already. And as for Mr. Tilney, but that is a settled thing. Even your modesty cannot doubt his attachment now. His coming back to Bath makes it too plain. Oh, what would not I give to see him? I am quite wild with impatience. My mother says he is the most delightful young man in the world. She saw him this morning, you know. You must introduce him to me. Is he in the house now? Look about, for heaven's sake. I assure you, I can hardly exist till I see him. Yeah. Interesting, because when she tried to introduce him the first time, um, Isabella needed to dance. Well, insisted that she couldn't possibly dance because that would be rude and leaving Catherine alone and then yet went off to dance. Well, she Tilney wasn't there when she went off to dance. No, she that was the once. first time, the second time, the second round of dancing, where Catherine, like, just in the break? I don't think he was there either, because she was looking, for, like, Catherine was looking for him. Um, there was something. There was a, there You're was probably a, thinking of his sister, like Catherine was talking to Miss Tilney. No, because he was... He was uh, he was there, and she pointed him out, and Isabella's like did the whole oh I oh I'm really fascinated, but then made it all about whatever she actually wanted to talk about and, and discuss, and not actually him. That sounds like her. Yeah. No, said Catherine. He is not here. I cannot see him anywhere. Oh, horrid! Am I never to be acquainted with him? How do you like my gown? I think it does not look amiss. The sleeves were entirely my own thought. Do you know, I get so immoderately sick of Bath. Your brother and I were agreeing this morning that though it is vastly well to be here for a few weeks, we would not live here for millions. We soon found out that our tastes were exactly alike in preferring the country to every other place. Really, our opinions were so exactly the same, it was quite ridiculous. There was not a single point in which we differed. I would not have had you buy for the world. You are such a sly thing. I am sure you would have made some droll remark or other about it. So in other words, you would have made fun of the fact that we like everything. No, indeed I should not. Oh, yes, you would indeed. I know you better than you know yourself. I hate it when people say that. It's so <laughs> rude. Well, well, also, the so, idea that Catherine would ever make fun of anyone. Yeah, it's like you don't know her. You would have told us that we seem born for each other or some nonsense of that kind, which would have distressed me beyond conception. My cheeks would have been as red as your roses. I would not have had you buy for the world. Indeed, you do me injustice. I would have not made so improper a remark upon any account. And, besides, I am sure it would never have entered my head. Isabella smiled incredulously and talked the rest of the evening to James. <laughs> We're going to talk. I'm going to tell you what you would have said about me and your brother being perfect for each other. And that would have been so distressing. And no, no. And then, yeah. So well, if. Uh, well, yeah. what I'm laughing at is, of course, how she she started the whole conversation goes, I'm not talking to you for the rest of the night, James. So don't ask. And, and then so the don't instant Catherine, Catherine said something she didn't like. It's like, oh, hello, James. I don't know who Catherine is. Yeah, she's very. Mm. Catherine's resolution of endeavouring to meet Miss Tilney again continued in full force the next morning, and till the usual moment of going to the pump room she felt some alarm from the dread of a second prevention. But nothing of the kind occurred, no visitors appeared to delay them, and they all three set off in good time for the pump room, where the ordinary course of events and conversation took place. Mr. Allen, after drinking his glass of water, joined some gentlemen to talk over the politics of the day and compare the accounts of their newspapers. And the ladies walked about together, noticing every new face and almost every new bonnet in the room. The female part of the Thorpe family, attended by James Morland, appeared among the crowd in less than a quarter of an hour, and Catherine immediately took her usual place by the side of her friend. James, who was now in constant attendance, maintained a similar position, and separating themselves from the rest of their party, they walked in that manner for some time, till Catherine began to doubt the happiness of a situation which, confining her entirely to her friend and brother, gave her very little share in the notice of either. They were always engaged in some sentimental discussion or lively dispute, but their sentiment was conveyed in such whispering voices, and their vivacity attended with so much laughter, that though Catherine's supporting opinion was not unfrequently called for by one or the other, she was never able to give any. 
from not having heard a word of the subject. At length, however, she was empowered to disengage herself from her friend by the avowed necessity of speaking to Miss Tilney, whom she most joyfully saw just entering the room with Mrs. Hughes, and whom she instantly joined with a firmer determination to be acquainted than she might have had courage to command had she not been urged by the disappointment of the day before. Miss Tilney met her with great civility, returned her advances with equal good will, and they continued talking together as long as both parties remained in the room, and though in all probability not an observation was made, nor an expression used by either which had not been made and used some thousands of times before under that roof in every bath season, yet the merit of their being spoken with much simplicity and truth, and without personal conceit, might be something uncommon. "'Oh, how well your brother dances!' was an artless exclamation of Catherine's towards the close of their conversation, which at once surprised and amused her companion. "'Henry?' she replied with a smile. "'Yes, he does dance very well.' "'He must have thought it very odd to hear me say I was engaged the other evening when he saw me sitting down, but I really had been engaged the whole day to Mr. Thorpe.' "'Miss Tilney could only bow. "'You cannot think,' added Catherine after a moment's silence, "'how surprised I was to see him again.' I felt so sure of his being quite gone away. When Henry had the pleasure of seeing you before, he was in Bath but for a couple of days. He came only to engage lodgings for us. That never occurred to me, and of course, not seeing him anywhere, I thought he must be gone. Was not the young lady he danced with on Monday a Miss Smith? Yes, an acquaintance of Mrs. Hughes. I dare say she was very glad to dance. Do you think her pretty? Not very. He never comes to the pump room, I suppose. Yes, sometimes, but he is rid out this morning with my father. Mrs. Hughes now joined them and asked Miss Tilney if she was ready to go. I hope I shall have the pleasure of seeing you again soon, said Catherine. Shall you be at the Cotillion Ball tomorrow? Perhaps we... Yes, I think we certainly shall. I am glad of it, for we shall all be there. This civility was duly returned, and they parted, on Miss Tilney's side with some knowledge of her new acquaintance's feelings, and on Catherine's without the smallest consciousness of having explained them. So Catherine is very, uh, yeah. So, so Ca Catherine made her feelings known without realizing she's made them known. Yeah, I mean, as, as an outside observer, it was very obvious. Yes, except Catherine doesn't realize that it's obvious. And um, Miss Tilney seemed a bit cold or maybe it was just the formality of the discussion she's very proper she's not remember when when she was introduced she's not the kind of person who artificially like, like, okay so we've got Kath, uh, we've got isabella who's very like the highest highs the lowest lows all these extreme expressions like oh i've never seen you for a thousand years oh my heart is and then it's just not sincere whereas miss tilney is like oh yeah she 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 does dance very well and and um just like oh yeah well, i'll see yeah I'll, we'll be yeah i think we'll go tomorrow so that's a good idea like like kind of very she's not f false she's more level in the middle like isabella thinking about like a wave sign really high really low whereas yeah miss tony's probably just like in the middle going a little up a little down but Staying pretty much. Yes, in she's center. she's moderate. Moderate. Mm. She is moderate in her speech is the expression I believe they use. But she's very calm, very collected. I mean, I'm sure there's things that she feels deeply on, but she knows she's been um, raised not necessarily to express them in a way that is disruptive or disturbing to the environment. Whereas Catherine is speaking, the idea is that she's guileless, guileless. So she's artless. She doesn't necessarily. She's w raised okay. She's raised fine, but she's very. She doesn't realize when she's being um, like when she says something, she's not doing it for effect. She's not. Um, she's not saying I think your brother dances well because she wants the the sister to know that I I would like to dance with your brother. Mm. She and does, also, but also, she doesn't want to say it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm thinking maybe all that time spent with Isabella, a bit of that brashness is rubbed off on her without her knowing, so she's a little more open with just kind of saying things. But that's the thing, Isabella's not open. Isabella's not open at all. No, no, I know that, Rue. I'm I'm saying more in the idea that um, it, like on the surface, Isabella is very open. She says the most outrageous things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much Isabella is having an influence on Catherine. I think Catherine is 
just very she doesn't know when like she doesn't she knows when things are not appropriate just enough to know what not to say like it's not appropriate for her to confess that she is interested in him mm. but she doesn't realize that by saying he dances well and and i think yeah. he was dancing with that girl. Like, so that was already doing so she's not familiar enough with those kind of nuanced what that means in that society that you are interested in him and i think isabella's also confusing because isabella's trying to push her brother on her mm. and at the same time is trying to say i'm great for your brother and at the same time is saying well you're such a flirt trying to drag you know like you're flirting with all the boys whereas she does that herself she's the flirt mm. she is deflecting so yeah it's it's a bit messy she like that's why when Isabella's talking to her, she doesn't real like she gets almost affronted. Like, you no, that's not something I would do. Why would mm. you even think I would? And then she's like, Okay, I'm just gonna whatever. Like she she, she got she got that with James sorry, she had that with John as well, where John would say something that she's like, Whatever do you mean? Yeah. I I don't think they're used to someone who just straight up it is I mean, she is a bit direct. But she's also direct in the sense of, I'm not, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what's going on here. Well, e even uh, in this day and age, uh, one of the scariest things to do, uh, which is usually the right thing to do, is to admit your own ignorance. Yeah. And she has a bit of that. She's got a bit of courage when it comes to that. She went home very happy. The morning had answered all her hopes, and the evening of the following day was now the object of expectation, the future good. What gown and what headdress she should wear on the occasion became her chief concern. She cannot be justified in it. Dress is at all times a frivolous distinction, and excessive solicitude about it often destroys its own aim. Hmm. Catherine knew all this very well. Her great-aunt had read her a lecture on the subject only the Christmas before, and yet she lay awake ten minutes on Wednesday night, debating between her spotted and her tamboured muslin, and nothing but the shortness of time prevented her from buying a new one for the evening. This would have been an error in judgment, great, though not uncommon, from which one of the other sex, rather than her own, a brother rather than a great-aunt, might have warned her, for man can only be aware of the insensibility of man towards a new gown. It would be mortifying to the feelings of many ladies, could they be made to understand how little the heart of man is affected by what is costly or new in their attire, <laughs> how little it is biased by the texture of their muslin, and how unsusceptible of peculiar tenderness towards the spotted, the sprigged, the mull, or the jaconet. Woman is fine for her own satisfaction alone. No man will admire her the more, no woman will like her the better for it. Neatness and fashion are enough for the former, and a something of shabbiness or impropriety will be most endearing to the latter. But not one of these grave reflections troubled the tranquillity of Catherine. <laughs> He's not going to notice the dress. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can confirm. New, new haircut? Oh, you don't say. <laughs> she entered the rooms on Thursday evening with feelings very different from what had attended her thither the Monday before. She had then been exalting her engagement to Thorpe, and was now chiefly anxious to avoid his sight, lest he should engage her again. For, though she could not, dared not expect that Mr. Tilney should ask her a third time to dance, her wishes, hopes, and plans all centred in nothing less. Every young woman may feel for my heroine in this critical moment, for every young lady has, at some time or other, known the same agitation." All have been, or at least have believed themselves to be, in danger from the pursuit of someone whom they wish to avoid, and all have been anxious for the attentions of someone whom they wish to please. As soon as they were joined by the Thorpes, Catherine's agony began. She fidgeted about, if John Thorpe came toward her, hid herself as much as possible from his view, and when he spoke to her, pretended not to hear him. The cotillions were over, the country dancing beginning, and she saw nothing of the Tilneys. "'Do not be frightened, my dear Catherine,' whispered Isabella. "'But I am really going to dance with your brother again. "'I declare positively it is quite shocking. "'I tell him he ought to be ashamed of himself. "'But you and John must keep us in countenance. "'Make haste, my dear creature, and come to us. "'John has just walked off, but he will be back in a moment.' "'Catherine had neither time nor inclination to answer. "'The others walked away. 
John Thorpe was still in view, and she gave herself up for lost. That she might not appear, however, to observe or expect him, she kept her eyes intently fixed on her fan, and a self-condemnation for her folly, in supposing that among such a crowd they should even meet with the Tilneys in any reasonable time, had just passed through her mind, when she suddenly found herself addressed and again solicited to dance by Mr. Tilney himself. With what sparkling eyes and ready motion she granted his request, and with how pleasing a flutter of heart she went with him to the set, may be easily imagined. To escape, and, as she believed, so narrowly escape John Thorpe, and to be asked so immediately on his joining her, asked by Mr. Tilney, as if he had sought her on purpose, it did not appear to her that life could supply any greater felicity. She is happy! <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe Escape. it. Yeah. Scarcely had they worked themselves into the quiet possession of a place, however, when her attention was claimed by John Thorpe, who stood behind her. Heyday, Miss Morland, said he, what is the meaning of this? I thought you and I were to dance together. I wonder you should think so, for you never asked me. <laughs> that is a good one, by Jove. I asked you as soon as I came into the room, and I was just going to ask you again, but I turned round you were gone. This is a cursed shabby trick. I only came for the sake of dancing with you, and I firmly believed you were engaged to me ever since Monday. Yes, I remember. I asked you while you were waiting in the lobby for your cloak, and here I have been telling all my acquaintance that I was going to dance with the prettiest girl in the room, and when they see you standing up with somebody else, they will quiz me famously. Oh, no, they will never think of me after such a description as that. By the heavens, if they do not, I will kick them out of the room for blockheads. What chap have you there? Catherine satisfied his curiosity. Tilney, he repeated. Hm, I do not know him. A good figure of a man, well put together. Does he want a horse? Here is a friend of mine. Sam Fletcher has got one to sell that would suit anybody. A famous clever animal for the road. Only forty guineas. I had fifty minds to buy it myself, for it is one of my maxims always to buy a good horse when I meet with one. But it would not answer my purpose, for it would not do for the field. I would give any money for a real good hunter. I have three now, the best that were ever backed. I would not take eight hundred guineas for them. Fletcher and I mean to get a house in Leicestershire again the next season. It is so damned uncomfortable living at an inn. This was the last sentence by which he could weary Catherine's attention, for he was just then borne off by the resistless pressure of a long string of passing ladies. Her partner now drew near and said, "'That gentleman would have put me out of patience "'had he stayed with you half a minute longer. "'He has no business to withdraw the attention of my partner from me. "'We have entered into a contract of mutual agreeableness "'for the space of an evening, "'and all our agreeableness belongs solely to each other for that time. "'Nobody can fasten themselves on the notice of one "'without injuring the rights of the other. "'I consider a country dance as an emblem of marriage. "'Fidelity and complacence are the principal duties of both.' and those men who do not choose to dance or marry themselves have no business with the partners or wives of their neighbours. But they are such very different things, that you think they cannot be compared together. To be sure not. People that marry can never part, but must go and keep house together. People that dance only stand opposite to each other in a long room for half an hour. And such is your definition of matrimony and dancing. Taken in that light, certainly their resemblance is not striking, but I think I could place them in such a view. You will allow that in both man has the advantage of choice, woman only the power of refusal, that in both it is an engagement between man and woman, formed for the advantage of each, and that when once entered into they belong exclusively to each other till the moment of its dissolution, that it is their duty each to endeavour to give the other no cause for wishing that he or she had bestowed themselves elsewhere, and their best interest to keep their own imaginations from wandering toward the perfections of their neighbours, or fancying that they should have been better off with any one else. You will allow all this? Yes, to be sure, as you stated, all this sounds very well, but still they are so very different. I cannot look upon them at all in the same light, nor think the same duties belong to them. In one respect there certainly is a difference. In marriage the man is supposed to provide for the support of the woman, the woman to make the home agreeable to the man. He is to purvey, and she is to smile. But in dancing their duties are exactly changed. The agreeableness, the compliance, are expected from him, while she furnishes the fan and the lavender water. That, I suppose, was the difference of duties which struck you as rendering the conditions incapable of comparison. 
He's being cheeky. <laughs> but but I just want to point in here. He's being cheeky. And yeah, there is kind of a mockery in his tone, up, but but lighthearted mockery. But it, it's more that he's actually conversing with her. He's not just talking. Yeah, he's not telling her about the horses and the hounds and how good he is and how wonderful he is. He's like actually having a conversation about, well, let's make an analogy here and use our arrangement for the dancing to be parallels to marriage. He's This is, I mean, if she was really able to read between, I mean, okay, Isabella will go, oh, he's, no, you're far too rash. Da, 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 da. Like, you know, mm. whereas this one, she's like, she's actually having a conversation and reflecting. Going, I don't see this. I actually disagree. Yeah, she she's almost in, incapable of reading between the lines or thinking that there are lines to read between. Yes, she's very, 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 um, how do I put it? She's very literal. No, indeed, I never thought of that. Then I am quite at a loss. One thing, however, I must observe. This disposition on your side is rather alarming. You totally disallow any similarity in the obligations, and may I not thence infer that your notions of the duties of the dancing state are not so strict as your partner might wish? Have I not reason to fear that if the gentleman who spoke to you just now were to return, or if any other gentleman were to address you, there would be nothing to restrain you from conversing with him as long as you should choose? Mr. Thorpe is such a very particular friend of my brother's that if he talks to me, I must talk to him again. But there are hardly three young men in the room besides him that I have any acquaintance with. And is that to be my only security? Alas, alas! Nay, I am sure you cannot have a better. For if I do not know anybody, it is impossible for me to talk to them. And besides, I do not want to talk to anybody. Ooh! She just straight up told him, I don't want to talk to anyone but you. Now you have given me a security worth having, and I shall proceed with courage. Do you find Bath as agreeable as when I had the honour of making the inquiry before? Yes, quite. More so, indeed. More so? Take care, or you will forget to be tired of it at the proper time. You ought to be tired at the end of six weeks. I do not think I should be tired if I were to stay here six months. Bath compared with London has little variety, and so everybody finds out every year. For six weeks I allow Bath is pleasant enough, but beyond that it is the most tiresome place in the world. You would be told so by people of all descriptions who come regularly every winter, lengthen their six weeks into ten or twelve, and go away at last because they can afford to stay no longer. Well, other people must judge for themselves, and those who go to London may think nothing of Bath, but I who live in a small retired village in the country can never find greater sameness in such a place as this than in my own home, for here are a variety of amusements, a variety of things to be seen and done all day long, which I can know nothing of there. You are not fond of the country. Yes, I am. I have always lived there, and always been very happy, but certainly there is more sameness in a country life than in a bath life. One day in the country is exactly like another." But then you spend your time so much more rationally in the country. Do I? Do you not? I do not believe there is much difference. Here you are in pursuit only of amusement all day long. And so I am at home, only I do not find so much of it. I walk about here, and so I do there, but here I see a variety of people in every street, and there I can only go and call on Mrs. Allen. Mr. Tilney was very much amused. Only go and call on Mrs. Allen, he repeated. What a picture of intellectual poverty. However, when you sink into this abyss again, you will have more to say. You will be able to talk of Bath and of all that you did here. Oh, yes, I shall never be in want of something to talk of again to Mrs. Allen or anybody else. I really believe I shall always be talking of Bath when I am at home again. I do like it so very much. If I could but have papa and mamma and the rest of them here, I suppose I should be too happy. James's coming, my eldest brother, is quite delightful, and especially as it turns out that the very family we are just got so intimate with are his intimate friends already. Oh, who can ever be tired of Bath? Not those who bring such fresh feelings of every sort to it as you do, but papas and mamas and brothers and intimate friends are a good deal gone by to most of the frequenters of Bath, and the honest relish of balls and plays and everyday sights is passed with them. Here their conversation closed. 
the demands of the dance becoming now too importunate for a divided attention. Soon after reaching the bottom of their set, Catherine perceived herself to be earnestly regarded by a gentleman who stood among the lookers-on, immediately behind her partner. He was a very handsome man of a commanding aspect, past the bloom but not past the vigour of life, and, with his eyes still directed towards her, she saw him presently address Mr. Tilney in a familiar whisper. Confused by his notice and blushing from the fear of its being excited by something wrong in her appearance, she turned away her head. But, while she did so, the gentleman retreated, and her partner coming nearer said, "'I see that you guess what I have just been asked. That gentleman knows your name, and you have a right to know his. It is General Tilney, my father.' Catherine's answer was only, "'Oh!' But it was an "'Oh!' expressing everything needful, attention to his words, and perfect reliance on their truth. With real interest and strong admiration did her eye now follow the general, as he moved through the crowd." and how handsome a family they are was her secret remark in chatting with miss tilney before the evening concluded a new source of felicity arose to her she had never taken a country walk since her arrival in bath miss tilney to whom all the commonly frequented environments were familiar spoke of them in terms which made her all eagerness to know them too and on her openly fearing that she might find nobody to go with her it was proposed by the brother and sister that they should join in a walk some morning or other i shall like it she cried beyond anything in the world and do not let us put it off let us go to-morrow this was readily agreed to with only a proviso of miss tilney's that it did not rain which catherine was sure it would not at twelve o'clock they were to call for her in pulteney street and remember twelve o'clock was her parting speech to her new friend of her other her older her more established friend isabella of whose fidelity and worth she had enjoyed a fortnight's experience she scarcely saw anything during the evening yet the longing to make her acquainted with her happiness she cheerfully submitted to the wish of mr allen which took them rather early away and her spirits danced within her as she danced in her chair all the way home ah she's very happy i love the fact that the way he said it was like the only reason like you wouldn't find this tiresome because everything is new for you you you're actually looking at everything with fresh eyes so it's only those people for whom this is a familiar sight you know the people who are spoilt or live in a more exciting place like london where the the, the um the pace of bath might be too slow for them yeah and i mean it was she said it you have such fresh feelings um and yeah there's there's the dad dad's like how did the dad know her name uh he could be one of those people where ah my son's been looking at talking to this person i best find out all i can about them yeah kind of like how mr allen found out about what Mr. Tilney was after that first. Yes, night. that makes sense. So he would have seen who is my who is my son dancing with, and then looked into it, Did, made his inquiries. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, so tomorrow she's meant to be going for a walk with Miss Tilney and Mr. Tilney at twelve o'clock, um, and she didn't get a chance to really talk to Isabella. And Thorpe was a horse's ass. Yeah, although it seemed that his. Um... His disappointment, or I'd say frustration, because he didn't get what he wanted, even though he had no right to it. But that quickly changed because suddenly he's like, oh, more tail. I'll chase that. Yeah. So, and I think Tilney kind of said it when it's like there's those people who aren't wanting to get, like, she was making a parallel between the idea of those who are wanting to remain signal, those who want to be bachelors, they should just not, um, they should not make it, uh, they should be staying away from the people who don't want to have that kind of life like just pick a different zone pick a different place um and there was that sentence he's just you didn't ask me oh we've been engaged since monday that's not the way this works you you don't get to say dibs for your entire stay well it's it seems you know Definitely with his whole character, it's the uh, I dance with you once, you're mine now. That or he wants his sister said that you should like this. I don't know how much of it is Thorpe, how much of it is his sister, how much of it is his mother. Uh, what a mess. But yeah, so um, Tilney is so refreshing. 
When he has a conversation, he actually has a conversation. Yeah, he mocks. He's a bit. It's it's the typical like, is a it's a dude in the time of Aston. Sorry. Um, yeah, well, like that that whole conversation he started off with about how dancing is like marriage was very odd to me. Yes, but he was referring. He's trying to say um, an emblem. So fidelity and complacence are the principal duties of both. Fidelity, both are meant to be having the fidelity, which is true. Dance, you're like in this particular structure, the the you're, you're dedicating yourself to dance to that person, but the complacence is a weird a bit. And the fact that he said, well, in, he's just kind of he's shooting the breeze. He's having a fun. He's having fun on a conversation, but he's trying to find out her attitude towards marriage and her attitude towards social interaction and obligation. He's picking her brain, but in a very, um, how do you put it? Devious? No, no, no. Congenial. In a very congenial kind of relaxed manner with a bit of humor. There's a, there's layers to how he speaks, but the fact that she responds just so directly is actually quite useful for him because that's the information he's wanting. Um, and this idea of the, the duties are exchange, and I, I, I honestly, I also see this as a bit of a swipe at Thorpe. In dancing, their duties are exactly changed. The agreeableness, the compliance, are expected from him. He's the one who's meant to be the nod horse's ass. He's meant to make her want to dance with it, but and he should be the grateful one. He should be the gracious one. He's the one. Who, she could have said no. Um, and I don't think she's the fact that he, he's actually saying this as well is trying to maybe empower her to realize that she is the one who can say no. Hmm. She is not obligated. Oh, here, here's just a little interesting thing as well. I noticed like I thought when um, Mr. Dorp appeared that we were going to have kind of a a, um, a showdown between Tilney and Thorpe. But it, it just worked out that they both like Thorpe left and then Tilney came in there wasn't any interaction between those two sort of I think Tilney was hearing it like was was in hearing shot the the way that they they stand and they uh, they set themselves up for the dancing they have to set themselves up like in different rows like they, so they, they, it could have just been a positional thing where where Thorpe just kind of broke the 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 appropriate rules where he just went straight up to her and said oi thought we were dancing so he's like she's like nah like i i wasn't like what now we're gonna dance now i told you we were gonna dance didn't like i don't know no you didn't yeah you did they've they've suddenly both become australian (laughs) they've become australian yes (laughs) nah yeah (laughs) no but he didn't even go oh it's like who's this then it's like tell me I'm sorry to fans of Austin now, literally, the ones who have passed rolling in their graves, the Australians rolling in their non-graves. The, the Australian in the time of Austin. Oh, what's this then? <laughs> Australians in the time of Austin, I think, were convicts. Anyway, so... <laughs> just saying. Or, you know, the people who were here before Australia, who are the indigenous people. Yeah. Um... But yes, so we've got this thing. I think he's making, he's made a couple of swipes at Thorpe. If you go through it, he's like, this is the point. The fact that the dude just walked off when he saw the other tail, that is like, dude, you, you need to be more selective. And she's, she's kind of gone, I would be glad not to speak to him, but he's a really close friend of my brother's, so I'm going to have to have conversations with him. And I, I, I really did don't like want to. That. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. Oh, like oh. A, there it is resistless. He was borne off by the resistless pressure of a long string of passing ladies. I think the ladies either they intervened, so you don't belong here. Come on, she's got her partners over there. You're you're an odd man out, or right? Yeah, I just got maybe it's because of who Thorpe is. I just assumed that he like Look. turned around, looked at someone walking past, and like you know what, I'm just gonna go after her. I'm going to say it's a bit of both. I think it could have been like, oh, she pretty. I'm going to go follow her. But the way that he exaggerated. And let's just say Thorpe is not one who I'm willing to give any benefit of the doubt to at this point in the story. Good choice. Yeah, wise choice. I mean, the fact that he's like, I was going to be dancing with the most beautiful girl in the room. Then why? They're not going to think it's me. 
Back off, and, and then why did he just start talking business at her again? Like, what the Because heck? there's a dude. There's a guy. He has horses and he has... And I've gone to... Don't ask me why these accents are happening. They just are. Uh, he's got horses and dogs and I can sell him stuff. Like, I can make money. This dude is... The only focus is money, horses, hounds. Money, horses, hounds, and maybe some bazitches if they're, you know, they're pretty enough. You're welcome. You're welcome, listeners. Today is going to be a weird cast. <laughs> well, at least those accents don't come out while you're reading. No, no, they do not. I tend to swing towards my more British side with occasional words that I mispronounce, but it's all good. We'll hey, do. We'll do. The, the listeners don't hear those. No, no, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing at least a few words in there, but it's fine. Yeah. I've, I've accepted it. It's all good. It's all good. As long as the meaning is clear. Mm. Um, but yes, so <laughs> I like that how every couple of paragraphs is like, summary, this. <laughs> this just happened. But yeah, uh, so, so uh, are we liking Tilney? He's, uh, here's the thing, like, uh, mm. I, there's still like, I don't know who he is other than, you know, I, I imagine when he's talking to Catherine because it has mm -hmm. that light mockery in there. I imagine like twinkling of the eyes as he's speak, speaking to her. Mm. So he seems like a good natured sort. Um, he seems more refined than um, John. Of course, he obviously comes from a better upbringing. Mm. Um, and he's uh, I, like just the way he's been set up. Like, I can see he's the one we want Catherine to get together with by the end of the story. Mm. So he's in that role. And I think for, at the moment, he seems adequate for that role. Desirable, even. So we have a few things. There's this one thing where, where um, the, the, the way that he interacts with his father, that, that he suddenly, like, is whispering to him and, and like, going on, what's going on, who's her? Who's, who's that? So so I heard, or I've heard it, now we know what the conversation was about. It's like, so I picked up on her name. So who's, the, who, so I've heard some this and heard that and whatever, giving, giving him a crash course and, and what are your intentions or whatever. Who knows what, what they talked about. Mm -hmm. We know it's about her. We just don't know what. Well, also he referred to his father as General Tilney. Yeah. Which I mean, in, in, in modern times, if you refer to your father as sir or like corporal, that means like there's been a strict upbringing usually where your father demands respect from you. Yeah, yeah, there's there's something going on. I think um, not only that, he didn't go, this is my father, It's he's my father. Mm. He didn't introduce him no. he just from a distance when General Tilney, my father, there is no, there's no... Um, yeah, the fact he didn't introduce his father or that his father didn't introduce himself is a little odd. Yeah, and then you've got this thing, I guess that, I see that you guess what I have just been asked. That gentleman knows your name and you have a right to know his. It is General Tilney, my father. That That's not laughing, there's no humor in that. It's mm. just a very, um, it's very cold. Mm -hmm. Almost very like, da da da, da. It's... I would have said reserved. It's not. It's like this. That sentence. That gentleman knows your name, and you have the right to know his. It's it's almost like Tilney likes to have fun in his life, but like there's maybe the weight or the reality of expectations heaped upon him from his family and from his place in society. Yes. Um. Uh, yeah. And I mean that that makes sense to build up from that from from when you when you look at it. So yeah, there's there's more to Tilney I think than meets the eye. But what is meeting the eye is not unpleasant. No. Okay. His his mocking is a little. Uh, but it's 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 within the context of the uh the age in which they are and the way that he is doing the like the mocking. It's not a. It's it's when you have a friend who's a little who may not know a certain word, and they the, when when you feel kind of almost, you're kind of amused by the fact that they don't know a certain slang term that might be in, inappropriate, or that they're not familiar with a certain kind of. Um, I'm trying to think of a good good way of putting it. There isn't like there's it, it's not nice to mock. It's never really nice to mock. But there's kind of that humor you get from when you realize that someone has no idea about certain aspects of the world that you are familiar with and they're just kind of bumbling around and probably um okay. There you go. Lisa and I when we went to Japan, 
because we were not familiar with the different districts and, and stuff in, in, in the town of Osaka, we ended up staying in a, um, in a guest house. And it was a lovely guest house. Uh, like it was a, it, it wasn't fancy or anything. It was just a home that they, they had different le- levels and different rooms. Whatever. It was mm-hmm. nice. What it was, however, was it was one street away from the red light district. And we didn't know because we lacked the local familiarity with that particular mm-hmm. area. So when we mentioned to someone who was Japanese where we were staying, ah. you know, there was almost this them looking at each other and going, do you tell them or do I tell them or do we just not tell them? Mm. <laughs> it, was like, it was really like that kind of humor that it, it wasn't it wasn't harmful, but it was funny because it was just like that it, it, a harmless uh, unfamiliarity. I, I think I know what it is. It's it's not I'm making fun of you for your ignorance, but your ignorance is amusing to me. Yes, because it's not harmful. It's not like you're not doing something that is out of malice or deliberate or you're not deliberately not knowing about this thing. It's just you don't have the context to navigate this um, and you're being very literal. Like when someone says, where are you staying? If you were from that area and you knew that you were a street away from the red light district you would probably mention um, like the suburb next to it or the train mm-hmm. station near it or something mm-hmm. like that. You wouldn't mention the actual ward. Mm. So there's that kind of, those kind of little subtle things and those subtle social nuances that you don't know until you, you, you learn mm-hmm. until you lo- learn the saying. So, I mean, um, I'm autistic and I can tell you that is literally my life. <laughs> Having it's to like, learn social cues the hard way. <laughs> constantly and so uh, yeah i got stories and none of them are they're all traumatizing no they're not they're not traumatizing for others but they were traumatic for me so much cringe but yeah um (laughs) it gives you an idea though like you you're yeah fun times so i i think i i see tilney i see tilney i get you but yeah i see what you mean he's there's a mystery to him he but then again gothic romance well also I, I mean, I have no real basis for this, but just the feeling I get off that conversation is very, uh, actually, it's similar in tone to the first conversation he had when he was uh, uh, japing her about the diary and things like that. And she responded like, I don't know what you mean. I don't have a diary. In that, I, I think part of it's information gathering where he's coming to understand that she really you know, she she's basically not playing the game because she doesn't know about the game yet, and that's refreshing mm. to him. But it's it's also she's seriously engaging him as if he was being uh, literal in the conversation he's having. So maybe yeah. there's there's a joint in that to him as well. With you know, sure, sure, she's she's not understanding what I'm actually saying between the lines, and that's amusing to me. But yet she's still having a conversation with me that I'm enjoying. Yeah, and the, there's there's an exchange, and she's she's owning her thoughts and her ideas, and she's able to express it openly with him. Even like, I mean, none of her thoughts are improper. Oh, and and unlike um, unlike, let's say, if he were to talk to Isabella, there's no oh, false pretense behind anything she's saying. Yes, she lacks that artful that artfulness that has is the fashion. And he, the fact that he knows what the fashion is, he's very cynical about the fashion. Mm. He's cynical and very tired. You, you can read the cynicism. He did it with the journal. Oh, you're going to be writing, I wore the sprigged muslin. Uh, da, 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 da. I had to dance. People flattered me. Like, joking about that. And then at the same time is going, um, so I'm sure, like, I don't, like, what are your standards? Where are your standards? What are your, when it comes to your dancing and your choice of partners and talking to other people, I judge you by that because for me that's actually an important thing. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting. Um, there's layers. Oh, juicy, juicy layers. And and speaking of those layers, another connection my mind just made mm. is so maybe a cold relationship with the father it sounded very serious, and yet one of the interesting things we found out about Tilney was how easily he was able to talk about Muslim with Mrs. Allen because of his sister. So that's some an aspect of his character that maybe has been um, a source of conflict with his father. Maybe, and also he has a close relationship with his sister. Like he he cares for his sister. You can tell in the way that he's um, interacting, the way that he. I mean, let's contrast contrast 
Mr. and Miss, Mr. And Miss Tilney versus John Thorpe and his entire family, all his sisters and his mother. And his, he, he's, a, he's rude. How ugly they are. How, you know, how ugly and stupid. That's literally how well, he treats them. Literarily, and, um, already it's uh, not even taking the rest of the Thorpes in it. But like we've got three sets of siblings here. We've got Catherine and James, we've got John and Isabella, and now we have uh, Mr. and Miss Tilney. I don't know if we've learned their first names yet. Um, I've forgotten them, if we have. It's what I do, because I forget but, things. But yeah, we, we, it's kind of interesting how we have three sets of siblings and the differences between them. Yes, and and, and already, just like, Catherine loves her brother, her brother loves him, her, but there's still like an almost like... Okay. Oh, Catherine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like this, this, it's, it's, it's like a, a, it's, it's caring and having affection, but also going, ah, oh, Catherine, yeah, they, they, really? Is that really a thing? Okay. Well, look, like there's, there's, there's a little bit of that. Whereas with James, uh, with John and, um, Isabella, neither of them believe a word that the either says. Hmm. Oh, you mustn't put too much weight into what he says. Like that kind of, Oh, just well, girls are all silly and 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 just that you know what girls the girls all like this and girls all like, like these assumptions that they make of each other because of each other's behavior. Whereas James doesn't expect artifice. James does not expect that artful dissimulation, like that fake that fake layer. Because Which is his sister weird that he's uh forging a relationship with Isabella but maybe that idea is new to him and maybe it's yeah oh, what's the word it's um appealing well maybe she he hasn't realized it because also she's very pretty mm. so he's distracted on multiple layers but he also doesn't realize because he figures okay well boys can be boisterous but girls like there's a lot of assumptions about each other and a lot of assumptions about what they know what is and isn't proper in their society they know those rules generally broadly but when it comes to the other stuff it gets a bit funny those subtle power plays and shifts in the games about courting that's where it gets messy and that's where there's differences um the fact that mr tilney danced with a miss smith smith is is often a euphemism used it, it, I don't know. Like I just know in other books, it's been used to say that this is a, a person who who who's uh, par- one of the parents is unknown. Oh, okay. I Usually, just, I regard Smith as just one of the most common names. In yes. England. Well, there's a reason. No, but I I don't know if that is the case here. I know it has been the case in other Austen books. I'm just noting that yeah. um, because I can't remember all the details of all the characters because there's just too many characters and I will never remember all the details of all the characters. Broad strokes, I will remember. And particularly funny moments, I will remember. Mm. But it's the broad strokes. <laughs> so, um, yes. Hopefully, next chapter, they get to have a walk as long as it doesn't rain. Uh, you know, and they don't be- think it's going to rain. Be- because books... Um... Well-written books are based on conflict. I have a feeling that there is going to be something to stop them having their pleasant walk. Well, the weather is very, you know, it's like that. They, 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 Mrs. Mrs. Tilney did. Sorry, Miss Tilney did say, contingent upon the weather. Oh. There's a proviso that it did not rain. I'm thinking boisterous Thorpes might be involved. Well, let us find out on next episode of so many books. So little time. Sorry, I don't know why I went straight up 50s there, but I did. It's a thing. Okay, no, we will get sued by Warner Brothers. Nothing. So, um, and so we come to a close with the music at the top of the podcast was Charlie Mull's composition played by the Regency players for Northanger Abbey, a television adaptation. Music at the end of the podcast is I Am The Slime by Frank Zappa, as always. And you can find me on Twitter at Rue McMoo, that's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. I'm over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. If you'd like to get in touch with our Facebook or Twitter pages for the podcast, they are at Podcast. And if you add an at gmail.com to the end of that, you have our email address. Um, please get in touch with us. We'd love some feedback on the books we are reading. What do you think of what's happening? Do you have any 
ideas about what might be happening in the next chapter. Uh, what do you think of our conversation? Uh, do you have any suggestions for future books you might like us to read? We will take them under advisement. And until next time, we hope you enjoy books wherever you are. Happy reading, everyone, and stay safe. Thank you.